Growing up, I liked math until I hit high school, and I blame the teachers that I had in high school for that fact. I remember freshman year in algebra, my algebra teacher would call me Hemi, and, and somebody asked, is that because he's, he's powerful like an engine? And she said, no, it's short for hemorrhoid because he's a pain in my butt. And I, you know, I have never... I don't know if I've ever felt more complimented in my entire life. And then our, our sophomore year, we had a guy who was fresh out of college, and he had no chance. Uh, and, and we would just constantly agonize and terrorize this poor man. And I'll never forget, he and I would constantly go back and forth. I said, I'm not going to be an engineer. I have no desire to be an engineer. Why do I need to memorize theorems? And he said, you're going to use this in your life. And I said, I assure you, I'm not going to use theorems in my life. And he said, well, you're going to need them at some point in time. And do you really think you're going to be able to access inf any information you want whenever you want? That's why you need to memorize theorems. Clearly, he had no clue what he was talking about because you can easily Google anything you need to know about geometry. And then my junior year, I got to algebra too. And that teacher should have been retired years, years before I ever made it to her class. And it wasn't just me. I, if, you're in, if you're in school right now, I don't even know how to describe to you the technology that I grew up with, but we had what was called an overhead projector. And it was, you would have these sheets of, of almost like paper, but they were clear. So you could see through them and they would put, be put on a projection system. And you just, have to, you just have to YouTube it. I can't adequately describe to you what this projection system was like. But then you could also take a, a marker and you could write on this sheet that would then be projected to the class. And we had what was called block scheduling. So each class was 90 minutes long. So literally for 90 minutes, the teacher would sit by the projector and write a couple notes on the projector, and it was just miserable. Horrible experience. So a test is coming up in Algebra 2 that I am not prepared for, and the class is not prepared for, and we're all talking amongst ourselves, and we're like, we don't stand a chance. We're all going to bomb this test. It's going to be one of those epic fails. We just knew before the test even started, this test is going to be an epic fail, and nobody's going to do well on this test. That's what we're talking about all day. It was the last block of the day. So the bell rings. We all make our way into the class. We sit down. And as soon as she passes out the last test, the fire alarm goes off. And she looks at us and says, a drill was not scheduled today, so ignore that. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. And if a drill isn't scheduled and the fire alarm goes off, that's all the more reason to get up and get out of the building. So it became, it became a game for how slow could we get out of the building. Because at that point in your life, you think you're invincible, and you're like, I can beat a fire. That's not going to take me out. But we knew that they couldn't start counting everybody until the whole class was out and lined up. And the longer it took us to get outside, the longer it would be before they could count the class, the longer it would be before they would reopen the school, which meant if enough time goes by, we can't take the test. And so people are tying their shoes on the step. Somebody's faking an injury. Somebody fake tripping on the steps. It was the longest it had ever taken us to get 
outside of the classroom, outside of the building for the fire drill. We line up. They start counting everybody. They release us to go back inside, but we don't have enough time to take the test. So the teacher comes, and she collects all the tests, minus one or two that maybe found their way to people, but that's a different story for a different time. And then as she sits down, she says, nothing good ever comes from interruptions. And I remember thinking, well, that's not true. This was a great interruption. This is, this is fantastic. But oftentimes in life, we kind of have that mentality. A lot of us are very busy people. We schedule out our days. We have things that are going on. And if we think something's valuable, if we think something's important, we're going to build that into our day. We're going to take the time to schedule it. Oftentimes, when interruptions come, we think this is not going to be good, either because we're, we're overscheduled or because we just are overstimulated or we don't want to give our attention and our focus to something that we didn't think we were going to have to encounter or experience. But what I want us to see is there are times that interruptions are actually divine appointments from God. And that sometimes the interruptions that come into our lives are used by God to accomplish incredible things that we otherwise would have missed. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize everything. Sometimes interruptions are just interruptions. But sometimes they're divine appointments by God. And that's what we're going to see today as we continue our look at the book of Acts. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in whatever app store you utilize. Just type in the Bible app. And then if a couple of them pop up, go with the version Bible app. Once you have it installed on your device... There are a number of great features within it, but one of them is called events. And there you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 and Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're continuing our look at the book of Acts, the New Testament book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1 in just a minute. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available on your screen below. Before we launch into Acts chapter 3, though, I want to catch you up with where we've been. Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's, he's talked to his followers, and he said, take this message and go transform your region with this message, but don't stop there. Take it to your region and then spread out to the very utter ends of the earth and share with people the hope that you have as a result of what I have done. Share with people the hope that we have as a result of the work of Jesus. That's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He does the miraculous. He shows up and over 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. And now the church is formed at the end part of Acts chapter 2. And there we see that the church is formed and they're devoted to some things. First, they're devoted to God. They're devoted to following after God. They're devoted to Scripture. They're devoted to understanding the heart of God, which is revealed to us in Scripture. So they devoted themselves to the Scriptures. They devoted themselves to community, to being involved and invested and engaged in one another's lives, being devoted to community. They were devoted to communion, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, remembering what Jesus has done on our behalf. 
and they were devoted to prayer. So those were the foundational pieces of the early church. Those were the things that they were devoted to. And now we continue the story of the early church in Acts chapter 3 and see how God works from there. So we begin in verses 1 and 2 this morning where we read these words. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So what's going on here? Well, Peter and John, two of the closest disciples with Jesus, two founders of the early church, they are now going to the temple for an hour for the at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, this is not 9 a.m. Jewish culture, the day would start at 6 a.m. At 6 a.m. And during the course of their day, there would be three times where they would pause the rhythm of their day. They would pause the rhythm of their day and reflect through prayer. And those times were 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. So throughout the course of the day, there would be these rhythms, these times where they would pause and they would redirect and they would pray. And I think there's something fascinating about that, that in the morning, at, at, after, at, right at noon, and then at 3 p.m., there are all these times within the rhythm of the day to refocus, to recenter themselves. And one of the things you look at, one of the hallmarks of our society, when you look at how we conduct ourselves, is there's no margin in our lives. There's no, there's, and really, oftentimes, we don't even operate within any, within any regular rhythms of our day. It's just go do this, go do this. And we go from task to task, or class to class, or job to job, and we're just go, 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 and then we're overstimulated, and we feel overworked, and we don't have any breaks, we don't have any times where we have a discipline of readjusting ourselves. And what that leads to is it leads to overstimulation, it leads to burnout, because we're just next, 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 next. But here, there are built-in rhythms where they are forced to pause and reflect and recenter themselves to connect with their creator and refocus. And if you find yourself struggling, if you find yourself overstimulated, if you feel overworked, one of the things I would challenge you to do is build rest into your life, but also to start by building in these rhythms. Build in these rhythms, these times, and they don't have to be rigid for everyone, but build in what works for you and what works for your schedule, but some times where you can very intentionally refocus throughout the course of your day, whether, whether it's a, a morning break, a lunch break, an afternoon break, whatever it is you have to do, build in these times to develop these rhythms where you can refocus and just connect with your creator, pray, talk to God, thank him for something, tell God something that's heavy on your heart, but just these times where you intentionally refocus throughout the course of your day. And I would just challenge you, build these rhythms into your work. Find a way to do that, whether it's through breaks, maybe it's you go out for, for the cigarette break and it's just a re-rhythm break, or maybe you do it while you're smoking your cigarette. I don't know what you do, but just develop these rhythms in the course of your day where you recenter and you refocus yourself, and that's something that I think is really lost in our society that would really help with this problem of burnout and feeling constantly overwhelmed where you just take these times and you are intentional about them and you refocus, you reconnect with your creator, you process through what you're going through. Even if you love everything that you're doing 
class-wise or job-wise or what you're spending your day on, even if you love those things, it can still lead to feeling overwhelmed. It can still lead to burnout. So make this a point. And it's especially vital if there are aspects of your job that you just hate. Make sure you're refocusing. Make sure you're developing these rhythms in your day. And I would encourage you to invite God into every rhythm of your day. Invite God specifically into your morning, into your afternoon, and, and into every aspect of your day and, and to practice these rhythms. So Peter and John, they're going to the temple. They're going to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon for one of the hours of prayer. And there is a man who's crippled. He's been crippled since the time he was born. And there he is every day. I mean, think about it. If, if you're crippled and if you're going to be panhandling, asking people for money, it's a good place to be. Because people are, people are coming in and, and they're going to be in the, the spiritual mindset, so they're probably going to be a little more generous, so there you go. Some people are like, hey, I want to impress God. God's going to see really what I do near the temple, so I'll give some money to, to the people who are poor here. So this is the position that the crippled man puts himself in, and he would do this daily. He would ask for money every single day from those people going to the temple to pray. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So there he is, camped up outside of the temple. He is asking for money, and Peter and John interact with him. They don't just walk by. They don't look in the other direction. They don't whisper amongst themselves and make it a point not to make eye contact. No, they see the value of this man. They see the value of every single individual. And so they are willing to interact with him. They don't just walk on by. They see the value there. They see somebody created in God's image. And that's, if, if you're begging for money, this is the hardest part, is getting people to stop and to notice you. And he, he, he's successful. Peter and John stop, and they engage with him. They don't just keep going. They engage with him. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So put yourself in this man's shoes. Put yourself in this man's shoes. You are crippled every day. You sit by the temple and you ask people for money. Every day you're panhandling. And you know if you're panhandling what the hardest part is. The hardest part is to get people to stop and interact with you. And once you've gotten them to stop and interact with you, that's the hardest part of the battle. So your heart begins to be excited. You start to think, I'm going to receive something here. Somebody is going to give me some money. And then Peter and John, not only only stop, but they talk back. And you're thinking, yes, this is going to go great. And then the first words out of Peter's mouth are, I don't have any money for you. I mean, just the roller coaster ride of emotion that that has to be. But Peter doesn't stop there. That's not where the conversation ends. He says, I've got something even better for you. I've got something even better for you than money. 
He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then Peter reaches down and he grabs his hand and he pulls the man up to his feet. He not only sees him, he not only stops and has a conversation with him, he's willing to reach out his hand and to pull the man up to his feet. And in an instant, instantaneously, God does the miraculous. And instantly, this man is healed. Instantly, his legs and his feet are made well, and they are strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this goes on. And the man, his feet are made well. He gets up and he is jumping. Of course he's jumping. He's been paralyzed. He's been crippled. Of course he is jumping. His feet have now been healed. His legs are strong and he is up he is jumping around and he stood and he begins to walk and he enters the temple with them he enters the temple with Peter and John and the temple that he sat at day after day year after year this was his existence this is what he did this is how he was known that's the temple guy everybody knows him they see him all the time and now he's jumping? And now he's walking? The miraculous has just taken place. And what is his response? His response is to praise God. Well, of course it is. Of course his response is to praise God. That's what all of our responses would be. If we put ourselves in his shoes and we couldn't walk and, and we were crippled and God heals us miraculously and we're jumping and we're walking and everything, everything's just been changed in an instant, of course we're praising God. But here's my question. We would all do that. Every single one of us. But when's the last time that we praise God for the ability to jump? When's the last time we thank God for the ability to walk? See, when the miracle happens, of course the response is to praise God. But he's praising God for things you and I take for granted every single day. It's like our little toe. I don't think about my little toe. You know the last time I thought about my little toe? Tuesday. I can tell you exactly when it was. Tuesday. And you know why it was Tuesday? Because I clipped a desk in my house on Tuesday. And I was thinking about my little toe. And it was, I promise you, it wasn't a spiritual thought of, God, I'm so thankful for my little toe in that moment. My little toe was on my mind. But the only reason it was on my mind is because I clipped something and it was brought to my attention. And the point is this. 
Every single one of us. Every single one of us has been blessed by God in ways that we don't even think about anymore. And it's not just because we we lack gratitude. It's just because they're so numerous, we don't even fathom them anymore. We just take them for granted. It's just part of life. But here he is. And he's leaping. And he's walking. And he's praising God. Praising God for the thing that you and I, we take for granted all the time. And this is just a reminder for us to stop and to think about all the ways, all the ways that God has blessed us. To think about all the things that God has done for us and given to us that we don't even fathom anymore. God has done. That we are all blessed. And the people, they're filled with wonder and amazement. Of course they are. They've seen Him there. They've seen Him there day after day after day. And they have seen the miraculous take place. And it goes on. While He clung to Peter and John... All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. People are losing their minds. And of course they're losing their minds. Why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't they be losing their minds? Because they've just seen the miraculous. They've just seen this man who was stuck in that situation. And they've seen him instantly, instantly changed. And Peter's response is, hey, hey, it isn't me. Peter's response is deflection. He he deflects. He deflects. And he says, this this isn't my doing. This is the work of God. This is what Jesus has done. And this is the point. This is the point. It's, It's always, it's always about the message. It's always about the message. It's never about the messenger. It should never be about the messenger. It's always about the message. And and the first thing Peter does is he deflects. He says, no, 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 no. It's not because we're so incredible. It's not because we're so awesome. Don't see that. When you see what has happened here, see the power of God at work. And that's the point. It's always about God. It's always about what God has done. And we see that God does the miraculous. We see that God does the supernatural. We see that God works through providence. And and God does all these things, and God transforms people's lives. And sometimes God transforms cities, and sometimes God transforms regions. But make no mistake, 
The praise always has to go back to God because it's always a work of God. It's, it should never be that, that a church is celebrated or a pastor is celebrated or a missionary is celebrated or, or a parachurch ministry. No, 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 no. It's never about the elevation of those things. It's always about the message of Jesus. That's what it always has to be about. And the very first thing that Peter does is he says, it's not about me. The minute it becomes about the messenger, the message has been lost. And the first thing the messenger does is he says, look at the message. Look at the message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. brings it back and he says all right it's not about me so Peter starts at a place where they would all understand they're in the temple they understand the Old Testament so he starts in the Old Testament so he brings it back to to Abraham and Isaac he's building the foundation the foundation that that the audience would understand he's relating to them he's relating to them so that they could understand the message that he is proclaiming. And the message that he's proclaiming is Jesus, whom you rejected, Jesus, whom you crucified, who was buried, he rose again. And Jesus is still at work today. And that is the message that Peter shared. And that is the message and the reason that we have hope today. Because Jesus is still at work today. And I know some of you, you might relate. Because there has been something wrong. And it feels like for every day, over 40 years, you've been sitting outside that temple. And you've been waiting. your scenario, your situation, it isn't getting any better. You might want to lose heart. You find yourself sick or you find yourself challenged. Maybe it's financially. No matter what you do, you cannot get ahead. And you find yourself stuck in the same situation over and over and over again. And you've asked for God to fix it, and He hasn't. And you've wanted God to to just intervene, and it seems like he's nowhere to be found. Or maybe it's relationally. You want to be loved so badly. And you've tried. You just want to find that love, and you want to find that acceptance, and, and you've given yourself away, and it hasn't been reciprocated, and, and you just find yourself angry, and, and you just are at the point where you want to give up, but you still want to find someone, and you're on the verge of settling for something that you know isn't right. 
but at least it's someone to be next to. Maybe you made that decision long ago. And you're just sick of the loveless marriage. And the papers have been filed. Because it's time to get out. I want you to know that Jesus is still at work. Your story is not over. And here's the hard part. Because the hard part's going to be the next question of, if God's still at work, if Jesus is still up to something, then where is he? And why isn't he working right now? Why hasn't he answered my prayer? And this is where if we were God... We make it so neat and so tidy in our minds. Because if we were God, what we would do is the day, the day this man was born, crippled, his parents would have brought him to the temple and he would have had an encounter with a follower of Jesus and he would have been healed. He wouldn't have been there for over 40 years. But God doesn't operate on our time frame. And God is not bound by our understanding. And if you're on the verge of just throwing in the towel, if you're on the verge of quitting, I can't explain to you why you find yourself in the exact situation you find yourself in. I could probably help you with some pointers of here's some decisions that have led to this point, but maybe not. But the hope that I have for you today is that Jesus is still at work. And we won't always understand this time frame. We won't always understand the, the reason behind. But the same Jesus who miraculously healed this man is still at work today. Peter goes on. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter he says, you, you acted in ignorance. You had a direct result. You were working behind the scenes. You worked to have Jesus crucified. That's what you were doing, but you were acting in ignorance. And God is still giving you an opportunity. God is still giving you an opportunity to repent and follow after him. That's how much God loves us. 
that the people who were actively plotting against Jesus to have Jesus crucified, the message of hope is still available to them. And so I'm just going to ask you, and I don't mean to be offensive with this, but what makes you think that your sin is so amazing and so significant and so impressive that the God who is willing to offer forgiveness to the people who are plotting to crucify his son is not willing to save you. You are never too far gone. You have never messed up too much for God to forgive you. And the same Jesus who is at work today is still offering forgiveness and grace and mercy to you. If you'll accept it and you'll receive it. And what is the impact of this? Well, we're told that you would experience refreshment that you would experience refreshment, that you would experience restoration, that God wants to refresh and restore you, and that God is restoring all things. That is the work of our God. And he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed. Destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from wickedness. Peter says, Check this out. God had a plan from thousands of years ago before Jesus ever arrived on the scene. And the plan was a plan of redemption. But not only that. That God would raise up his people. It's not just that God had a plan for his son. No, God's plans went beyond that. And God had a plan for his people. And this is what's fascinating, that in God's plan, he had a plan for me, Peter says, and for you. Which means that God has had a plan for you and for I. That God chooses to utilize us to accomplish his work. Not because he needs us, but because God chooses to utilize us for what he's going to accomplish. And I don't know about you, but when I think of the fact that God has chosen to use me, I'm like, God, I could have pointed you to some better people than me to, that you're going to use. And I could have pointed you to a lot worse people than me too. But I could have pointed you to a whole lot better people than me. But that's not the point. The point is that God has chosen you. And he's chosen me. 
That's your value. That's how important you are to God. That God has placed you where you are, not accidentally. That God has given you the talents and abilities and the gifts that you have, not as an accident, not as a fluke, but that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. It's a divine plan and a divine purpose for you. That's how valuable you are. That's how much you matter to God. That the creator of all of this has a distinct plan and purpose for you and your life. So what do we do with all of this? Well, the first is we can't miss the opportunities that God gives us. And if we're constantly exhausted, if we're constantly overwhelmed, then we are going to be looking for them. So I would just encourage you to develop the rhythms that enable you to recognize that every day is a gift. And every day is an opportunity. I'm not going to over-spiritualize it and say that every interruption is a divine appointment from God. That's not the case. Sometimes we're interrupted just because we work with idiots. Sometimes we're interrupted just because our neighbors do crazy things. Sometimes we're interrupted for all kinds of reasons. But sometimes the interruptions are divine appointments that God has given us. And if we're overstimulated and overworked and we don't have the rhythm to refocus and recenter ourselves, then we're going to miss them entirely. So I just encourage you to develop that rhythm where you recenter yourself and you refocus. Next is let's recognize all the incredible things that God has given us that we take for granted. The ability to take a step. The ability to jump. And there are thousands of them that we won't even fully see because we just have grown accustomed to them. Let's be people of gratitude. If you find yourself in a challenging situation, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like God's just not working, recognize that God still does the miraculous. God operates supernaturally. God operates through providence. And God operates through His people. And God sees your story and He knows what's going on and He loves you. And as people that love and follow Jesus, let's recognize that God has wired all of us in a specific way. And that we are all part of God's divine plan. And His providence. And so if you ever struggle with your self-worth, if you ever wonder, what value do I bring? You don't have to wonder that anymore. Your Creator has made you the way you are and placed you where you are with the opportunity for you partner with him. There is no greater purpose 
that can be found in that. God, I pray that we would discover the opportunities and the interruptions that you bring our way. And that every divine appointment you give us would be one that we fulfill. God, thank you for the thousands of ways that you have blessed each and every one of us, no matter what we're challenged with, no matter what we're facing. Your blessings are too innumerable for us to, to process. But God, I just pray that you would enable us to thank you for the things that we take for granted and have a newfound appreciation for all that you've given us. I pray for the person who's struggling right now. because it seems like their prayers aren't being answered. And it seems like the situation just gets more and more dire. God, I pray that they won't lose heart. And I pray in your perfect timing, you reveal your plan. And God, I pray that it would really really dawn on us what it means that our creator has chosen to utilize us as part of his divine plan. And God, I pray that would transform how we view each and every day. And I pray that would transform how we live our lives. And I pray it would transform what we do here at Lakeside. God, that the message would always be more important than the messengers. But God, that we would proclaim this message loudly. That the hope of Jesus is available to all and he is still at work. And God, we ask that you would work through us. We ask that you would help us be a part of your transformation of this region. That hope would be found and lives transformed and love experienced. That refreshment and restoration would be experienced by people who follow you. Use us, God, is our prayer. For your glory the hope of your son Jesus would be proclaimed. In his name we pray. Amen.